Hi. This week, I'm with Vicki Znaver. She's the author of Authenticity Reawakened, The Path to Owning Your Life Story and Fulfilling Your Purpose. I think you're going to find some real pearls here. We talked about what real authenticity looks like, not that manufactured authenticity we see sometimes, and how we know when we're putting glitter on things so we don't see that we aren't really happy at all. Vicki gives us some clues to discover this for ourselves, the real truth, and once we know that truth, how to make better decisions about how we look to our values to lead our true life with purpose and joy. Listen up and add this book to your reading list ASAP. Welcome, Vicki. I really enjoyed the book. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm in the middle of my own pivot that's been going on for the last few years. And it's really been interesting to see some of the things that um, I've been learning and growing with in your book, like you read my mind or something. Oh. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Of course. So let's just dive right in and let's start with how do you define authenticity? You know, I think it's a culmination of a few things, but it's really deciding who you are and how you're going to show up in the world to the extent that you wish to do so. So, you know, I'm not a firm believer that you should be open kimono, so to speak, and everything, um, you know, every personal story. But I do believe that once you understand your, the pivotal moments, those moments that have really made you who you are mm -hmm. and you honor those moments, you then can have a good grasp of what your values are. Those values, they're really with us all the time. We don't always notice what they are or um, articulate them in the way we might want to, but our values are things that we do carry with us. And then once we know our purpose, um, mm -hmm. and that's really a culmination of knowing your, your, your life story, how your values have been developed, and then your purpose comes about. That's how I think then that your own authentic, authenticity shapes itself and becomes more readily apparent, not only to you, but to others in the world. Um, I use this, the title, um, authenticity reawakened because I believe that this happens over and over and over again in our lifetimes as we grow and develop. Um, you know, we have a different perspective about those experiences and about those values and about our purpose. And it comes to life in many different ways over our lifetimes. Mm, yeah. And I, I think a lot of the times um, we get sidetracked by those authentic things that, you know, we've been like, oh, okay, this feels really good. This feels right. I like this. And then the shoulds and the autas and the gottas dive in and we get that voice in our head. How do we go back over our own history and see what those kind of, you know, pins in the wall were? Right. Well, my book tries to help you do that. Um, and, and that is where you're really thinking about, you know, I, I, I think of my own pivotal life stories, for example, um, that I hadn't really appreciated that much as a younger person. So mm -hmm. again, you know, I think a lot of us are on the hamster wheel, if you will, of life. You're just going and doing and going and doing and doing the best that you can. 
And of course you have moments where you think, gee, that doesn't feel right to me or gosh, I'm really ticked off about such and such, or, Hey, that feels really right. Spot on. That's who I am. I'm so happy. I got to show a little bit of myself today at work, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, um, you know, this, this concept of really, uh, 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 paying attention over and over again. There's an exercise I talk about in the book of sometimes just standing in front of a mirror at the end of a day or a week or whatever, and looking yourself in the eyes really deeply and saying, do I know who I am? And well, am I living? Us, that's scary. <laughs> I think it's a terrifying, it can be a terrifying experience mm. because I, I know for me personally, in those moments, I've had some really profound reactions to that, to that simple question, looking myself in the mirror, am I showing up how I want to be for my family, for my friends, for my employer, for myself? Mm -hmm. And the answer that you get back, um, of course, is going to be more heartfelt. um, And it may bring about some very interesting uh, reactions. You know, mine have been accompanied many times by tears when I realized that, no, I'm not showing up the way I want to, or the way that I know is inherently important to who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, nobody lives a hundred percent. Well, let me backtrack on that. A lot of people don't live a hundred percent in their authentic selves all the time. And I think that's something that um, makes it seem unapproachable Mm -hmm. to, to really accomplish that. If we are constantly in that thinking of what we should be, you know, or, or who our gods are, um, Mm -hmm. and how do we step out of that, um, into, into a real sense of self and our own truths. Right. You know, I think in, in some ways, Janet, it's a, and, you know, to your point earlier, Port, I want, want to just acknowledge what you said, because I think it's so important. Nobody is a hundred percent authentic all of the time. So I'm very careful about saying, you know, being authentic in the way that's important to you. And so, you know, we all have demands on us. Uh, if we're at a board meeting or a, an important executive session or some engagement at our kids' school, and we firmly disagree with someone, we're going to monitor how we disagree probably in certain environments. Um, So as opposed to saying exactly what we feel uh, every moment of the day. But I think you're right in that the the should sort of creep in. And I think that that's why being very particular about what the things are to you that are most important. Um, You know, for example, my dad was a, uh, uh, I was a Mexican migrant worker. And he, uh, he literally traveled across the country as a young child, just um, picking crops and things like that. And my dad was in, very intelligent, but really never had an education. He, he didn't get educated past about the second grade. Um, he learned to speak English when he was in his 30s. Um, and I saw the struggles that he faced on a consistent basis. We lived in a town that was called Whiting, Indiana, and it was aptly named and that there are three families of color in the town. And, uh, mine, mine, uh, was one of them. And 
my dad would face racism every single day. He'd walk down the street. He was the, the happiest, go lucky person, uh, always had a smile on his face. And inevitably he would be called the N-word as he walked down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a small child, I learned uh, that, that I, I saw how he navigated that. He didn't talk back to them. He would just say, you know, have a good day or whatever it was, but I saw the pain on his face and I felt it in my own heart. And as a result, as an adult, and as I grew up in the corporate environment, um, that's a non-negotiable for me. So that's something I won't back down on is is racism. So there are few things like that in our lives, um, in our pivotal stories that really, you have to just say, if I don't claim those things, I don't know if my if I'm living the life that I really uh, am here to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That takes a huge amount of. Um, at first, your dad's story is is one that I've seen over and over again, and you know, for him to have that open heart and that generosity to not respond to it, and also to you know, be himself. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though obviously that's incredibly painful over and over and over again, and also for you to see that, um, and yet to still stay true to, I am this good person. I'm happy. And, you know, that's, that takes a lot of strength, a tremendous amount of strength. Yeah, I agree with you. It really does. Um, and, you know, we're, we see a lot of that today in, in our world. I mean, sometimes sure. it's easy to kind of get caught up that things sometimes can feel as if there's so much negativity uh, and so, so much despair. Um, but then if you look on the other side, there's always somebody else there who's helping that person who's doing something good. Um, so it's, it's important to, to stay balanced in all of it. But you know, again, whatever your pivotal story ha- stories happen to be, I think it's, if for no other reason, um, it's, it's just important to know what they are and to honor them. That's mm-hmm. why you're you. Okay. So that begs the obvious question of how do we find them? How do we define those things, especially after mm-hmm. we've gotten a little older and we may have mm-hmm. stopped looking? Yeah. Great question. You know, I think it, it, takes, it takes a lot of self-reflection for sure uh, in those quiet moments. If you think about, I mean, one easy, simple exercise would be to, and, and Janet, you're so um, skilled in mindfulness that this is sort of a mindfulness activity as well as just to think about, gosh, if I go back, what's the earliest memory that I actually can bring to the forefront? Um, you know, going back to maybe even when you were two or when you were four, did something happen that really is still there with you? Uh, and just explore it. And, and some things will come and go, you know, for example, when I was two years old, I remember burning myself on the stove and Mm -hmm. that's a memory, but it's not one that really shaped me, uh, for who I am other than, you know, I'm obviously careful around stoves, but, (laughs) but, (laughs) but that's, that's what I'm just saying. Like you have to kind of keep going back some things I'm sure, um, you know, I guess if you think about what has inspired you to be 
uh, so con- so dedicated to mindfulness, there's probably a story there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that for a lot of people, they push away those stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, because maybe it doesn't fit with the narrative that they're trying to tell. And how do we avoid getting distracted by that narrative of who we want our life story to be and kind of ignoring our history and the path that brought us here? That's a great question. (laughs) So I tend to be a little bit analytical and this will be, as I think about my readers, this will be something that I will learn from all of you as well. Um, But part of me believes that if you don't worry about, you know, what's the next job, what's the, who am I supposed to be? If you take that off the table, as you're looking at just your pivotal life stories Mm -hmm. and do that exercise for that exercise alone and just see what surfaces. Um, Once you do that, again, I think it starts conjuring up other things that perhaps you haven't dealt with. I mean, that's another thing I point out in the book is that not all of our pivotal life stories are positive. And there are some pivotal life stories that would shake most of us to our knees. And so, you know, in those cases, uh, seeking professional help to deal with those issues that are under the surface is such an important thing to do um, and not something to be taken lightly or brushed aside. But just sitting down and writing them out, if you journal, that's great. In the book I provide, I've always sort of used grids and people that have worked for me in the past or with me know that I'm almost famous for always using a matrix about everything. But (laughs) so I include a matrix in the book as well. But just saying, you know, what are the five things that really come to the surface? If you need seven things, that's great. And then just trying to take more of an analytical view about, oh, okay, now I understand that that's always been there. And that's why I have a strong reaction when X happens, Mm -hmm. Um, trying to sort of step out of yourself, if you will, and just look at the data. Yeah, that to me is kind of like the looking in the mirror exercise too, in that you're looking at things that maybe you don't often stop to really think about, to look at. Um, I love the the matrix that you had in the book, clues about not being authentically happy. How do we know? You know, we, we're living our dream or what we say our dream mm-hmm. is, but sometimes we really realize that, oh yeah, this this isn't making me happy. I have the money, I have the car, but I'm still not happy. You know, that is a common experience for a lot of us. Um, you know, you think we're taught from a young age that, or at least our generation was, that there are certain things that you should want. And you, if you work hard, you'll get them. And then everything sort of falls into place. And the reality is that that's not really how things work out. Um, I think that, you know, there are lots of signals that the universe sends to us when things aren't working as they should. And if we're really off purpose, uh, uh, straying away from who we truly are, Mm -hmm. you know, things like tossing and turning at night, you know, of course, we all have those experiences in our lives and our work lives where we're not, uh, where we have things on our mind and we're not sleeping well and that that's fine. But if it happens more often than not, it's a big clue that something's not right. 
Um, if you, you know, I, I can recall saying things to myself that just, just like sort of with a shake of the head and saying, oh, I hate this, or, uh, you know, uh, this sucks or, <laughs> or whatever it might be, or, you know, feeling that you're, um, always trying to, um, be one step ahead of somebody else that there's this mm. feeling. I don't, I don't trust such and such because I know he or she is just out to get me or whatever it might be. We all have times in our careers where we're feeling a little bit like that. And when those things happen, it's a big red flag to stop and take notice of what's going on. Um, and, you know, sometimes that analysis is going to show, uh, you know, it's just a, a really hectic time. You know, if you think about like a, a merge, an M&A situation at work, that's a big, crazy time that we all expect to be a little off purpose. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about more of the, this is, this has become the norm for me. Um, I can remember uh, my face tends to show exactly how I'm feeling. I'm the world's worst poker player. <laughs> no one would want me on their team. But, uh, you know, when people would say, hey, are you okay? That was another external, you know, because I would just wear it. I would wear mm-hmm. that something just wasn't right. So I think those, there's a lot of clues that we get and taking the time to explore those. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it is important that we check in with ourselves. Yeah. And I, I like that you said that, Vicki, that, you know, some days are just not going to be good days. Sometimes right. we're going to do things that we don't feel good about, but overall, if we're still feeling, okay, I, I feel good about how I am at work. I feel good about the relationships that I'm developing, yes. um, the relationships in my life then, you know, we can use those things to kind of ground us and connect us to our true selves when, you know, we have to go out of the box every once in a while. (laughs) Absolutely. Beautifully said, Janet. But I think too, a lot of times it takes a kind of existential crisis for people to get to the point where they actually look at their lives. And I I, um, love how in the beginning of the book, you talk about Steve Jobs and and his path, you know, mm-hmm. being creative and dropping out of school and then ending up a CEO and not necessarily being the best person that he could be. Um, right. And that's just so sad and such a contrast. Um, did it take something like losing his job first or? Was it cancer that made him suddenly go, wow, I'm kind of an asshole? <laughs> Did he say that? Did he exactly. know that? <laughs> right. I don't know. I honestly, I, I read, so, you know, in the book, I did a lot of research. I read a lot of books and articles and watched a lot of videos and things like that. And I'm not convinced that he ever really came to that conclusion one way or another. I think um, much like much of his work, I think that he was always exploring and trying to, I think he was an avid, obviously an avid learner. And I think that he simply was on a journey that he never quite had the time on this earth to, to figure out. But, Mm. you know, I think that that's, that's actually how life is. We never fully figure out, um, everything for sure about ourselves. And I think, um, his life was filled with contradictions 
and uh, and yet he left an amazing, lasting legacy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he tried. Yeah. Well, those of us in my house that are Apple users are like, Steve must be rolling in his grave, but I'm just going to walk away from that right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you know, it's funny because the, the book uh, in some ways was uh, one of the uh, influences that I had was uh, David Biscott. So Dr. David Biscott, mm-hmm. he was another person who was filled with contradictions and you know, he wrote this little book called Finding Your Strength in Difficult Times, which I really liked. And he was a guy who he had his own show, his own um, call-in psychology show, and he would give all kinds of advice. But at the end of his life, he was deeply in debt. He had marital problems. He had all kinds of he had mm-hmm. health problems. He died when he was in his 50s. Um, but he was on an authentic path. Again, I think that's another thing that's really important to point out is authenticity is not perfection. Authentic mm-hmm. people, some of the most authentic people in the world can be real jerks. They are authentic <laughs> jerks. So uh, <laughs> I guess that's true, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. It does not mean nice. It just means being authentic to your own personal values. <laughs> mm. Mm. That reminds me of someone I knew once who would constantly say, well, that's just who I am to excuse mm. being a real jerk. Um, you know, that's she believed that her truth was about being totally authentic in whatever came out of her head. And, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I guess we're all on a path, right. And you look at people who, you know, like we talked about Steve jobs that maybe didn't fully become who they were meant to be or could have been, but maybe they'll do that in their next time around. Right. You know, it's funny you should say that because I do believe that, you know, we perhaps get some other opportunities to to continue our journey. Um, But who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So once we've done some, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I worked with a a woman also, and I'm a huge fan of women. I work with some amazing Uh, women. So not picking on women at all just happens that this person happened to have been a woman uh, who used to always say, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight shooter and I'm a, you know, I'm going to tell you like it is, but, and I write about this in the book a little bit that sometimes those people actually are, um, they, they have poor communication skills and they don't know how Mm. to say what, what it is that they're supposed to say in a way that really connects with the person that they're talking to. Right. So instead of saying it that way, they're sort of under the surface saying, oh, God, I have no idea how I'm supposed to say this. So here's how I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say I'm a straight shooter. And then I'm going to say it in some really rude, antagonizing way, because mm-hmm. that's the only that's the only thing I can pull from my toolkit here. So, um, you know, being inauthentic can also mean that you're you're, you're a jerk as well. So I always <laughs> felt in this particular person's uh, case, I think that she had a persona that she wasn't always able to live up to in her mind. And when that happened, what she, what came out was really these sort of overly aggressive and assertive statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I find that to be very true in women that have been, uh, become executives and maybe didn't stay true to themselves, but became yes. what was expected of them in the role. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have, spoken with some clients who have really had to deal with that issue and, mm-hmm. you know, really understanding. Um, and it, it comes to 
saying no to what really doesn't serve your authentic self, you know, really being able to step back and say, okay, that is not who I am. And that is not how I'm going to work. Um, Though, as you said, sometimes it's just, they don't have good soft skills. They don't have good communication skills. And that's common. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was blessed to have an amazing career in that I started from the really most junior level admin and was able to go through the C-suite over many years. I had a four decade career so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, of course, there are situations where we don't necessarily feel confident about, you know, so for example, I have this high voice. I wish I didn't have a high voice, you know, back then, but I was always really girly. Um, The executives that I work with, they went to the University of Chicago and studied finance. Well, I I went to night school for 15 years to get my undergrad. And -hmm. then I went on to get an MBA, but I wasn't in their same class, if you will. And they had lived lives that I could only have imagined. But, you know, back in the early 80s, I wanted to be I wanted to be like them and Mm. I, I would model how they talked and I would, you know, try to dress a certain way back in the early eighties, we wore little neckties and uh, Mm -hmm. women couldn't wear pants to work where I worked at the time. So those kinds of things. And then I just realized this was part of my growth as a human being. I am never going to be able to talk the way they do. I am never going to be able to stand in front of a room and articulate things in such a, uh, uh, deliberate manner, but Mm -hmm. here's all the things that I can do. And I found that as an executive, I was able to bring my true self to work because I had done my homework. I just Mm -hmm. didn't say it exactly like everybody else did at the table. And then what I learned was that because I would allowed myself to show up in a more human way, the people that worked for me were able to do that then they were model role models for other people. And we had a much better dialogue. And I would say to people, please don't edit yourself. I think you're saying this because you think it's what I want to hear. I want you to say what you really want to say in the way that you want to say it. Mm. And I think that that's an empowering opportunity. Mm -hmm. Organizations today are talking so much about inclusion and diversity. Well, that's really at the heart of it. How about asking your people to just say what they need to say in the way that they want to say it and do their work in the way that they do it in their own unique style? It's amazing what comes as a result of that. Oh, I love that so much because it really really is kind of the core of the issues that we have in, in business now is when people are just really staying in the little box that they've been drawn in. And not being, especially at the executive level, it's often, this is what I think. What do you think? Instead Mm -hmm. of asking, what do you think? And being curious, you know, and and allowing that curiosity to come out and also to have empathy and compassion for the people around them. Okay. How are they experiencing this? And how can I help here? Not how can I teach them the language that they need to be speaking, but how can I help them express themselves? 
Spot on. You know, this sort of gives rise to another of my pivotal life moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a child, my family, I'm the youngest of 12 kids. My family often uh, didn't know where the next meal was coming from, literally. And um, I can remember my parents, my mom was a housekeeper in a nursing home. And my dad worked at a, at a local mill by the time I was a little older. And um, they would get laid off from time to time from their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the angst on my parents' face and the worry about, gosh, it was bad before and now it's really going to be bad. And that influenced the kind of executive that I became, especially in human resources, where you're making decisions about healthcare for people, you're making decisions about compensation, you're making decisions about staffing uh, in a very, uh, you know, strategic way. And I never wanted another little girl to feel the way that I felt when my parents were going through those struggles. And so that story to me, that's what influenced me. And I could tell that story to other executives about, uh, you know, here's how we have, this is why being mindful about decisions in these particular, our spend in this area versus that area is so Mm -hmm. critically important. Um, It also made me a good executive about how I spend the company's money. I spent the company's money like I would spend my own and I'm really tight with a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those old life lessons really stick with us, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, I'm hearing that you found your purpose in showing how to lead, especially how you worked with your team. Yeah, you know, I would say absolutely. I think, you know, if I were to articulate it, I would say that my purpose is really to help other people do their best work in whatever capacity that happens to be. Um, So at this point in my career, you know, as I think about, I wrote the book because I thought it would help people bring themselves to work. And as a result of that, they would be doing their best work. Uh, I'm going to be uh, taking on a coaching practice for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I know you do a lot of speaking, Janet. And so I'm looking up to you on that one. I, (laughs) I, I have a lot to learn about that, but I hope to do some engagements that way. Um, Just to help people say, you know, you've got an important contribution to make and the world is going to be less if you don't make that contribution. And I think all of us genuinely want the world to be a better place. And if we can contribute to it in some small way, happy to do it. Mm, Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. You it, It really brings to mind too, though, okay, I've spent some time going and looking at the path that got me here over mm-hmm. 60 plus years and looking at the core elements that really rang true, you know, throughout that history and the things that I'm like, yeah, that was right. And oh, that, that, that was not right. When we look <laughs> back at that, how do we begin to really bring that truth forward and, and make that change happen. I know it's not going to happen overnight, but you know, the making the steps towards, okay, this is not the life that I expected to lead. What am I going to do to start making that change? So it's like any other goal is identify it and then hold yourself accountable. You know, what can I do? What can I do to bring that to life um, in the next 
30 days. I know, Janet, you're uh, an expert in the tiny habits um, <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> methodology. I just, I just read the book recently, actually. Mm. And but it, it starts with little things. And my husband always says, you know, if you're going to eat an elephant, don't worry about the elephant, just worry about one bite at a time. And I think that that's an important lesson is, you know, whatever it is, if you say to yourself, you know, I, I really value, I'm just going to make this up, but I really value um, diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And that's important to who I am as a person to show up and to acknowledge who I am and to be part of something that's bigger than myself. Fantastic. So what's one thing that I can do um, starting immediately? Well, I can join the business resource councils at my job. I can decide that if somebody says something that is racist, that I'm going to actually say something back. And mm -hmm. you can even define what that is. You can say, I'm going to say that is unacceptable to me. And I would appreciate you not repeating that in my presence again. And just say, I'm going to, I'm committed. If that happens, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Whatever those things happen to be, um, I think that that's, that's a good way to get started. And it's just like lifting weights. Uh, if the more you exercise those muscles, the more you continue practicing, then you start gaining more confidence. Like, oh gosh. I did that. I lived through it. I feel good about it. I'm going to do a little bit more. And you just keep <laughs> sort of deciding what it is that's most important to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't stick with things that don't, that feel bad for us. We right. repeat the behaviors that make us feel good. And that's really simple, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. And um, stepping up, you know, with diversity, so in the news, in vogue right now, even for people that maybe don't believe it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it is hard for them to have people who's, who say, you know what, that is just not okay. And I'm going right. to stand right here and tell you it's not okay. Um, exactly. And that really does speak to your heart and to your authentic self. And, and, um, it also, when it, when it feels good that you're standing there on your two feet saying, okay, this is something I believe in, then that really does start kind of just, you know, putting those stakes in the ground. Okay, here's one. This is one thing that I stand on and this is what helps me to be me. Absolutely. Yep. It starts small and, um, and keep building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And things like, you know, empathy and compassion we've talked about, mm -hmm. but I also think that gratitude and bringing mm -hmm. that sense of, you know, that experience watching your dad being grateful mm -hmm. for the lesson, even the painful lesson, um, mm -hmm. you know, is really important to kind of the creation of who we are. Yeah. In fact, I have a little rock that I keep on my desk that says gratitude because um, mm. I think it's so important to, to think about uh, the fact that, first of all, if you live in this country and you have a roof over your head and you know where the next meal is coming from, you're one of the luckiest human beings on the planet. And that deserves recognition right there. Um, so, you know, starting with that, also thinking about, you know, when you have negative interactions, that those are gifts, 
So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard in the moment, honestly, when your feelings are hurt or you feel lost or you feel attacked, it's hard to think, oh, thank you for the gift of whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. But when you look back, that's one of the things after 40 years of working, I have an opportunity of looking, you know, back in the mirror, in the rear view mirror. And I could say that all of those things were such gifts, uh, such gifts to me. So, uh, you know, I think it's important just to think about, uh, about gratitude for sure. Um, you know, also, even if you, if you're thinking, you know, that your job maybe isn't the job that you really want to or um, brings any type of happiness or joy to you, but it is a job and it pays the bills. I completely get there, been there myself, mm-hmm. but then you think about what is some aspect of myself that I can bring to this job or how can I enlighten some, how can I help somebody else? Sometimes if you're having a bad day or, or things just, or a bad time at work, or you're not, again, not in the job you want, think about, well, how do I make this place better? Just looking at somebody and saying and meaning it, Janet, how are you doing today? And standing there long enough to actually hear the answer Mm -hmm. is such a gift to somebody else. So sometimes we always look outside of ourselves and we say, oh, you know, um, uh, this place is a terrible place to work. And my question back to other people during those times, I'd say, well, what are you doing to make it better? Mm. You know, what's, what's one thing that you can do to make this better for somebody else? Mm-hmm. Or what's one thing that you like about it? Don't you work with anybody that doesn't bring you a spark of happiness or gratitude or joy? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when you can make that cognitive shift to, oh, I'm feeling really miserable right now, but I have a job. I have a home. I work with people who are doing great things. You know, I have joy in my life, even if it's not here in the workplace, Uh you're making that shift from, yeah, that sucks to, but, or, and, (laughs) you know, Uh as they say, then yeah, okay. There is something else there. And that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if you can hear the noise going on at my house, but I I can hear it. And I'm going to go into a different location. (laughs) That's okay. It can be really distracting. I'm, I'm in a closet. So yes. (laughs) So am I now. (laughs) Just, just so the audience knows all speakers have closets we go to and speak in. That's right. We all go into the, into the closet when our husband all of a sudden decides that it's a good day to weed whack right outside her window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's always something, especially now with everybody home and, you know, it's, we don't realize how busy our homes are until we're all in one place and going, whoa, wait a minute. It's kind of noisy in here. <laughs> yeah. And you know, actually it's been a really good thing for authenticity because mm-hmm. you see, you have a window into your colleagues' homes and you have a sense of what they're going through. Um, and it's, it, it's, I think it's been quite enjoyable to see how people have just kind of allowed them a little bit more of themselves to be seen. Yes, I totally agree with that because it really does, you know, sometimes we have our work faces on the entire time, mm-hmm. but now when we bring a little reality and transparency into it, it does change the way the relationships are working in some ways. You, you bet. I like that. Something to appreciate. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, Vicki, thank you for this conversation and thank you for the book. I think it's going to really make a difference for people who are feeling a little stuck, but they don't know how to get unstuck and uh, without having an existential crisis to get there. Even if- right. We don't want those. And, um, you know, so thank you, Janet. And you're doing some amazing work, which I so admire. Um, and I really appreciate all that you're doing. And um, I hope that anybody who picks up the book, I hope it finds, um, I hope it brings you great joy and, um, and helps you find who you truly are and to bring that to work every single day. Um, that would be amazing. We need more people uh, who are willing to do that. Mm, we certainly do. We yeah. certainly do. And I, I hope the same for everybody who reads the book. Why Thank don't you... So much close with um how do people find the book obviously Mm -hmm. and how do they find you so they can learn more oh thank you so much so the book is available um on amazon.com so authenticity reawakened the path to finding your life story and fulfilling your purpose and it is going to be available on audible soon too uh but i i'm not quite done with that recording you can also find me at vickysnaver.com and that's V-I-C-K-I-Z as in zebra, N as in Nancy, A, B as in Victor, O-R.com, vickysnaver.com. I have a blog uh, and I, I update that every week. I'm also on LinkedIn and I provide content on LinkedIn as well and Instagram. Oh, and Twitter. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm learning all, I, I, I love social media, but I've never really used it for work. And I'm, I'm learning so much about it and it's really wonderful. The content that you get there is amazing. So mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say nice things about social media because it got me where I am, but yes, <laughs> I, I really do, uh, do appreciate that. And I will share all those links in the blog post on my website at oh. janetbouts.com. So Thanks so much, Uh, Janet. Thank you. It's been a true pleasure. Same. Be well. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com. And please send me feedback there too, or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.